Hello and welcome to the Art Engager podcast with me, Claire Baum. I'm here to share techniques and tools to help you engage with your audience and bring art, objects and ideas to life. So let's dive into this week's show. Hello and welcome back to the Art Engager podcast. This is episode nine and today I'm talking all about building rapport and creating a great group dynamic in the new now. Now I really struggled knowing what to call this episode because we're not yet in the post-COVID era and this is not the new normal. I don't even know if I like that phrase but things are opening up now and I wanted to share some thoughts about how you might want to work with groups in the circumstances you find yourself in right now, whatever the situation is in your country, your region or your organisation. And you will know that if you're listening to this now in June 2021, you'll understand that creating a great group dynamic is even more important now after the last year or so. We need to create uh, a lot more social comfort, psychological safety, and we also need to build the trust and social interaction with our groups. So today's episode is all about building rapport and creating group dynamics in the new now. Although we're not out of the woods yet, in some places museums, galleries and heritage organisations are opening up again. And I've noted from my members in the Visible Thinking membership and in my networks that within these organisations, some are offering group experiences and others are not. Some are offering outside experiences, some are offering uh, just educational programs for schools, whilst others are even offering uh, group guided tours for adults that have been vaccinated and some are offering group experiences without masks as well. It really does depend on where you are in the world. So whatever your situation in your organisation right now, it's time to think about how your group experiences will look from now on. So that's whether they're coming back now or whether you hope they do in the future. So the big question for today's episode is, how are we going to lead engaging in-person group experiences around art and objects going forwards? And how will you make your audience, your participants, feel socially comfortable? What will group dynamics look like now? And finally, how can we create a great group dynamic with awareness and sensitivity for how people feel right now? So throughout this episode, think about how some of the ideas might work for you or how they could be adapted to your organisation or environment. I'm going to talk about what group dynamics are, what different different types of groups you might come across, uh, the roles people play in groups, the size of groups and how to use the space. And I'll end by talking about how to create a great group dynamic even when you're wearing a face mask so stay tuned for that at the end of this episode. Now there is unfortunately not a one-size-fits-all approach to this but hopefully some of these suggestions can help so that we can lead engaging, enjoyable and safe group experiences going forwards. 
So first of all, let's look at group dynamics. What are they? So group dynamics is all about building great relationships between your participants and between your participants and you. It's about making people feel at ease and socially comfortable so that they trust the people around them and the environment they're in. And if you have a great group dynamic, people are more likely to get involved and ask questions and have fun. The important point to remember is that you always need to put a conscious effort into creating a great group dynamic. It will take effort on your part, but it will pay dividends. So as you know, we're familiar with sharing information with our groups and connecting visitors with our knowledge. But just as important is understanding how groups work, understanding the dynamics of a group and knowing how to establish a good group camaraderie. So Kurt Lewin coined the term group dynamics. It was in the early 1940s and he was a social psychologist and change management expert. And he noted that people often take on distinct roles and behaviours when they work in a group. And he used the phrase group dynamics to describe the effect of these roles and behaviours on other group members and on the group as a whole. So a group with a positive, a great group dynamic is really easy to spot. You can see that the, the group members trust one another. They work together towards collective decision making. They collaborate. They hold one another accountable for making things happen. And research has shown that when a group has a positive dynamic, its members are nearly twice as creative as an average group. Now, in groups with poor dynamics, people's behaviour can cause disruption. Um, and as a result, the group may not come to any decision. It may not collaborate. It may make the wrong choices because the group members could not explore all the options effectively together. And there are lots of factors that might lead to a poor dynamic, but it could be weak leadership, people adopting obstructive roles, and also lack of self-awareness. So there are all sorts of groups out there. And I want you now to think about the types of groups that you work with, that you encounter. And let's look at some of the different types. So we have our primary groups. So these are groups that tend to be close. They interact a lot. Uh, commitment and values are really important. And these are groups like families or close friends and they last for a long time. Then we have our social groups. So these groups tend to be larger, they're more formally organised than primary groups. So for example, things like clubs and work groups. We also have collectives. So that's when individuals have something in common and they're drawn together, sometimes unintentionally. So these can be audiences watching the same performance, uh, crowds, uh, people at a football game, queues waiting for the bus. These are all good examples of collectives. And a key point is that after this experience, the group dissolves. There's also categories. So um, individuals that are similar in some sort of social way or they have a feature in common. 
And when people are part of a social category, they share a social identity. So knowing where your group has come from and their relationship to each other, if there is any, is a really essential starting point for group dynamics. And definitely in these strange new now post-COVID times, it is even more important to do your research, to do your due diligence and to find out as much as possible about your group. And this will really help you to start putting a plan together for that group to gather. So let's move on now to the common characteristics of groups and how we can think about each of these characteristics now in the current situation. So each group is, of course, different, but there are some shared characteristics. So first of all, let's talk about roles. So people play different roles in groups. Sometimes these are assigned So if you're on a committee or something, and sometimes the roles emerge through interaction. And people adopt particular roles in groups depending on three different things. So it can be what they've done in the past. It can be the composition of the group. And it can also be what gets triggered by the situation. And we know that in museums and heritage organisations, some things quite often get triggered. People um, act differently, perhaps, than they would do in other circumstances. But also, because of what's happened in the past year or so, many people might be quite anxious um, than being, uh, being in a group again. They might be thinking about what to say or what to do or what the rules are. So it's really important to have a good introduction and a good warm-up to ensure that everyone relaxes and knows what to expect. So let's talk about space next. Uh, So Wendy Woon, she's a museum educator at MoMA, and she's quoted in Priya Parker's book, The Art of Gathering, which is a recommended must-read on this subject. And Wendy says... The design of social space, physical space and emotional space affects how people engage with ideas, content and each other. And what this means is that you must actually design a space for exchange, design that space for learning and create a space for participation. And space, I think, is of course so important right now since we've all been used to keeping our distance from each other and socially distancing. And there's a study of space, the study of proxemics, is about how people adjust their physical distance from one another according to the degree of attraction or tension they might feel. So, for example, friends would stand closer to each other than strangers, for example. So in groups, you will always want to watch the ways that group members stand or seat themselves. Have a look and see who they sit next to or who they position themselves opposite from. Obviously, you may not be able to have your group stand too closely to each other. It all depends on vaccination levels and mask wearing, etc. And you may have to take an active role with groups demonstrating how they can use the space. So you can use your skills as an educator to position people and make them feel confident in the space that they're in. 
So you could actively position the group, showing them how you'd like to stand around an artwork. You could also use gesture to ask group members to move if they're too close to each other. I mean, much as you would do um, if they were too close to a painting, for example. And if you're still using social distancing, you know, you can make it fun by having the group form a semicircle or a circle and use their arms outstretched to measure distance. So make it a fun activity rather than something you are enforcing. You should also ensure that everyone can easily see and hear each other and nobody has to strain to catch someone else's eye. And also ensure that your group members are comfortable. You want to make sure they're not in the way of other people or being jostled by other people. Give people space. And finally, you might want to remind people that they will have to be even better listeners than they would normally be in order to be able to hear and understand everyone, particularly if you're wearing masks. So that's space, a really important factor to think about for group dynamics. And now I'd like to move on to size, because group size has a really important effect on group dynamics. Now, much has been written about the ideal group size. You know, a group can be as small as two people and as many as hundreds and thousands. And Priya Parker, again, another mention, talks about ideal group sizes in her book, The Art of Gathering. And I'm going to share some of these insights because I think it's a really interesting way of thinking about groups. So she first talks about groups of six as being wonderfully conducive to intimacy. There's obviously high levels of sharing, lots of discussion. Um, but she says, on the other hand, they're not ideal for diversity of viewpoints and they cannot bear much dead weight, which means that there's a lot of responsibility on everyone in that group of six to make the event, the experience or gathering great. If you're working with groups of 12 to 15, then this can sometimes feel the ideal number because 12 is small enough to build trust and intimacy and also small enough for, for you to handle. At the same time, 12 obviously offers more diversity of opinion. It's also large enough that it allows for an element of mystery and intrigue. And uh, Priya Parker notes that King Arthur's a famous table had 12 seats and there were 12 apostles. So yeah, 12 people is a good amount of people that you could have around one table or one conference room or also handily around one artwork or object. So that's why quite often we work with groups of 12 to 15. And then we have the larger groups. So we have groups of 30 and when you get to sort of 30, it starts to feel like a party, has a crackle of energy, lots of possibilities. They're too big for a single conversation, although you might be able to do this with some experienced facilitators and a good arrangement of space. And then the last two groups are super large. She has groups of 150, you know, weddings of around 150 where everyone can still meet everyone else. And then you have the tides of humanity. So the World Cup, the Olympics, all these sorts of gatherings are about tapping into the energy of a massive crowd. 
So the last three types obviously are all large groups. And the larger the group, the more likely it is that subgroups arise. And the less likely it is that you're going to have a close relationship with other people in the group. And I think that larger groups can also help us to feel more anonymous. So in the past, you may have been used to working with groups with anything from two people to 25 or 30 persons, depending on your situation and who you're working with. And I think one positive of the current situation is that if we have been already working with groups in the past, they're more likely now to be smaller than we've been used to. And this has several advantages. So it allows you to build better relationships with the group members. It allows you to give individuals more attention. It allows you to recognize everyone's contributions. And in turn, this builds a better group dynamic. So seize this as a positive of the situation and do everything you can to enjoy the smaller group sizes and build connections with the groups you have. So I'd like to share some thoughts finally about wearing face masks. Now, for many of us at this moment in time, we, we may be working with groups with a mask on. Um, so I'm interested in how you can still facilitate great group experiences with a face mask. How can you communicate clearly and create that happy, positive group dynamic? And what extra strategies you can employ to ensure that people are still engaged and they're still interacting with you. So the first uh, thought is that um, it's important to overcompensate because masks are hiding our facial expressions and all the non-verbal clues we may give. And interestingly, a lot of research suggests that adults get most nonverbal clues from the speaker's eyes, while children pay most attention to the mouth. So it's even more important to exaggerate your verbal, nonverbal expressions when you're working with children. So become an actor, use animated facial and body movements to communicate clearly with your group. Raise your eyebrows, nod your head, use thumbs up and other verbal and non-verbal expressions to ensure that everyone understands. Also think about simplifying your communication as masks make it so much harder to hear. They stifle sound and make it more difficult to work out any differences in pitch or tone. And also um, simplifying the way you communicate, perhaps speaking in shorter sentences, uh, asking simple questions one at a time, slowing down the pace of your speech and allowing thinking time between questions and not forgetting to breathe. And all of these will make it easier for people to understand you. Now, if you're doing a lot of facilitating your organisation or you might want to consider using a microphone to avoid voice strain um, because this will boost the volume of your voice and will stop you having to strain um, I would add a note of caution that when you're using 
a microphone, don't be tempted to start telling rather than asking just because you're wearing that microphone. Um, it's an aid to help you create discussions rather than a tool that allows you to lecture. So think conversation rather than a presentation. And also consider talking less when you're wearing a face mask. So get your group talking more and get, ask, get them asking more instead. This will also help the group dynamic. It will help the group to gel. So remember your role. You're there to facilitate discussion, to activate curiosity and to answer your audience's spoken and unspoken questions. So you want to draw people in by asking simple, open-ended questions that encourage participants to seek out their own answers. Remember, you want questions that can't be answered with a yes or a no or a shrug. You can also ask people what they're wondering about, what they'd like to find out more about, or what questions they still have. So get the group talking more. You could also give your group independence, you could encourage your group to work individually or in socially distanced pairs at a safe distance, answering questions, having debates, carrying out activities. Um, instead of using handouts, you could carry a portable whiteboard and write the instructions on that so that everyone understands what they're doing. You could get them to make their hands into a viewfinder shape so they can focus on part of an image rather than you describing it. You can hold up question cards or emotion cards to stimulate discussion. So all of these are ways of encouraging your group um, to be more independent, to work individually. You can also ask them to go and find connections with other artworks in the same gallery and report back to you. So this will all encourage that spirit of independence. Also think about using visual aids because these can aid understanding and help you communicate your ideas more clearly um, without having to explain everything. Um, they can also enrich your discussions so much and provide sort of talking points. And I think their visual aids are particularly useful when you're wearing a face mask. Um, so anything that can reduce the amount of time you spend explaining stuff, so timelines, uh, images, multi-sensory objects, all sorts of things. But do note that materials should not be passed around. And share your visual aids and invite your participants to tell you what they notice about the materials you're using and get them involved in a discussion about them. I would also um, encourage you to check in with your group regularly throughout the session. And you should be doing this anyway to create that group dynamic. So you can pause at several moments to ask whether participants can hear you correctly and if they've understood something. And you can also ask if participants would like you to repeat something too. Finally, um, some final thoughts on group dynamics in the new now. So I would encourage you to make time for reflecting and assessing. And yeah, at the end of each session, assess what worked well and what you could work on for next time. And I'd encourage you to do that at the end of each session and be flexible enough to rejig your methods after a few sessions if things are not working. 
do be kind to yourself because adapting to these new ways of working does take time and practice. And remember that all the rules and regulations may be different in your particular region or your organisation. But do give some of these strategies a go the next time you're with a group and let me know how you get on. And if you'd like to be taken through the whole process of designing engaging group experiences in the new normal, then sign your team up for my new refresher course. So maybe your team have been unable to practice their craft. Maybe they've been unable to lead tours or work with groups in the past few months. Maybe they feel a little rusty or in need of brushing up their skills or knowledge, or perhaps even they're a little anxious about working in person with groups again. So if any of this sounds familiar, my refresher course is here to help. And I've developed this comprehensive course to get your team back in the swing of things and rediscover the joy of facilitating in-person guided experiences with art, objects and ideas. And the emphasis on this course is on making your team and their participants feel socially comfortable. So there's training in group dynamics, building rapport and facilitation. And as you know, when people trust the people around them, they're more likely to ask questions, participate and even have some fun. So this course can be online or it can be in person and it's always customised to the rules and regulations in your particular region or organisation. So to book the refresher course for your team, please get in touch. You can email me claire at thinkingmuseum.com or you can go to my website thinkingmuseum.com forward slash refresher course. That's all one word. That's thinkingmuseum.com forward slash refresher course. And I'll also put the link in the show notes. So that's it for today's episode on creating group dynamics in the new now. I hope you've enjoyed it. You can find me on Instagram most days at Thinking Museum. So do head over there and tell me what you think. And I'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Art Engager podcast with me, Claire Bowne. You can find more art engagement resources by visiting my website, thinkingmuseum.com. And you can also find me on Instagram at Thinking Museum, where I regularly share tips and tools on how to bring art to life and engage your audience. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share with others and subscribe to the show on your podcast player of choice. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time.